would please to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. How many of you have ever heard of Athos, Parthos, and Aramis? Those aren't the three teenage mutant ninja turtles, whatever they call them. Those are characters in Andre Dumas' book, The Three Musketeers. And they had this wonderful motto. They would say, all for one and one for all. And what they meant by that is that they were going to stick together no matter what, and they were not going to let anything divide them. Last week, we began a new series of lessons in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And one of the biggest problems that that church had was the matter of division. Sometimes we fantasize about churches in the New Testament, and we think, boy, it sure would be great if we could have churches just like they had in the New Testament period. And in many ways, it would be great if we had churches like that again, but in many ways, it wouldn't be so great either. And that's because there were a lot of problems in those churches. And one of the biggest problems, the biggest problem in this church at Corinth was one of division. If you lived in Corinth, if you lived back in that time, you would be in a a very very, uh, tempting type of society. Uh, Corinth was the fourth largest city in the the, uh, Roman Empire. It was the crossing ground between many great cultures. And it was considered the most evil city of all the empire. The phrase Corinthian girl came from this time period. And whenever anybody used that phrase, they automatically knew that the woman that that referred to was a prostitute. So the Corinthian church was comprised of people uh, that came out of decadent lifestyles. And unfortunately, when they became Christians, they carried some of those old practices over into the church. And one of the problems, the first one that Paul addresses in this letter to the church at Corinth, is a problem of division. This was not a unified church, and the motto of that church was not all for one and one for all. It was every man for himself in this church, and whenever that happens, you have the problem of division. We're going to talk about that today from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read from God's Word. We're going to start today with verse number 10. Last week, we studied verses 1 through 9, and that was a pleasant introduction to the book. All kinds of pleasantries, but now Paul turns to unpleasantries as he begins to talk about division. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to learn something from your word. Help us to to know what to do in the matter of division. May we be a unified church. May we put forward a unified front that we might glory 
uh, glory your name. We might give you honor in all things. We just give you the praise for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been in churches for very long, you've seen problems. And some of you may have been in churches where there are such divisions that churches decide that they're going to split and start new churches. There was a, uh, back in Kentucky where I lived, there was a church that was near a Civil War battlefield. It was in Perryville, Kentucky. And there was a Baptist church right next to this battlefield called the Battle Baptist Church. And there never was a church that was more aptly named than that church because there was always a battle going on there. I know you've probably heard of Civil War reenactments. Well, in this church, they didn't reenact the battles. They had a fresh one every single week. It was a church that had problems and divisions. In Tennessee, there's a church called the New Harmony Baptist Church. And right across the street from it is the New Harmony Baptist Church number 2. This, this was a church that had divisions. Now, their problem was that they, had a, they were divided over the issue of which side of the platform that the piano was going to sit on. Some people liked the piano sitting on this side, and some people liked it sitting on that side. And so they were divided over that. And, and it got so bad that one group in the church, they would get up and get to church at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and they would move the piano to their side of the platform. The next week, the other side got up, at 7.30, came to church at 7.30 and moved the piano to the other side of the platform. And it got so bad that these people started giving up at 5 o'clock on Sunday morning to come in and move the piano to their side of the platform and to guard it so it couldn't be moved. Well, the result of that was that the church split in two and they started a new church right across the street, New Harmony Baptist Church number 2. So there wasn't much harmony in New Harmony Baptist Church. Well, here's what Jesus has to say about this. In Matthew chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 17, verse 11, he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. When a church is divided, it is not representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today I want to talk to you about divisions in the church and what we need to do about that. We need to have as the motto of our church, all for one and one for all. But I want to talk to you today about three different areas concerning division. Number one, we're going to talk about the confusion of division because whenever a church is divided, there is much confusion. People on the outside of the church are confused and people on the inside of the church are confused. And a divided church does not represent Christ. So let's talk here first about the confusing aspect of a divided church to people that are on the outside. And we'll notice this first of all, that division harms the church's reputation. The reputation of the church in the community is harmed whenever a church is divided. Now the proper reputation for the church is one of love. And we all know the scripture that Jesus gave us. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And what did he say? Because you wear a smiley pin on your lapel that says, God loves me. Or people will know that you are Christians because you wear a cross around your neck. Or people will know, they're absolutely convinced that you are a Christian. If you have a a, a, a chrome fish on the back of your car, people will know that you're a Christian. Well, we know that's not what Jesus said. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
And so when the world looks at a church and they see strife, they see division, then they laugh themselves all the way to hell. Now, you'll look here in verse number 10. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Now, that word divisions there comes from the Greek word schismata. It's the same word from which we get schism. It's also the same word, the root word, for our English word scissors. And what this carries with it is the idea of a garment that's been torn in two, one that's been ripped or one cut in two. And folks, whenever we give the outside world conflicting ideas about who Christians are, about how Christians live, how they act, how they think, how they talk, there is nothing but confusion out there. Now, Paul tells us that we should all speak the same thing. And if we don't speak the same thing, we'll ruin our effectiveness. Now, I've been in in churches where people disagree even while the preaching's going on. This side over here says, amen, and that side over there says, oh, me, and there is no agreement. And, folks, we cannot expect to have agreement out there at 11 o'clock on Monday morning if we don't have agreement in here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We all have to speak the same thing. We're to be unified. Everyone in the church needs to be headed in the right direction. So whenever you have division in the church, that will always harm our reputation in the community. Now, the second thing that we find here is that division hurts our fellowship. Later in this book, we're going to talk more about the teaching that Paul gives us on the church being the body of Christ. And the church is a body that all works together. And this principle, all for one and one for all, that really means that when one member of the body suffers, that all of the body suffers with it. When one person in the church has a problem, everybody in the church is concerned about that problem. That's because the church is a body. It's a living organism. If we were talking about business today, and we want to talk about business organizations... We know this, that when you have a weak part of a business organization, it will be cut out. It'll be done away with. If you're the weakest link in your business organization and you affect the bottom line of that company, you can expect that you're going to be eliminated. The business of business is the bottom line. And if you're the weakest link, you're going to be eliminated. But the church is not like that because it's a living organism. And the weakest parts even of the body... The weakest parts of the church are parts that are important. And it, just, it works just like the human body works. You take your little toe, for instance. I mean, and God in his infinite wisdom, why did God give us little toes? Well, God knew this. He knew that when you got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you'd need a way to find the bedpost to get back to the bed. And so he gave us little toes. And we, we've all done that, haven't we? You stub your toe as you're trying to get back to the bed at night. And what do you do? You don't reach down and cut your little toe off. No, you grimace and you, and you yell out and you jump in pain. And all the body gets affected by that and becomes concerned about it. You don't cut that little toe off because it's a part of the body, a part of you. And as far as you're concerned, that little toe could be a heart attack right then because you're concerned about it. Well, this is the way it works in the church. When there's lack of concern because of division, then that shows us that the, the want and the help and, and the, the, the way that we look after each other in the church, that is wanting when we have division. 
So division says, cut that thing off. It's a waste of time. Get rid of it. You don't need it. And if you cut it off, you'll never have to worry about stubbing that toe again. But that's not the way that it is in a church. So when there is division, fellowship is harmed. We lose this sense of camaraderie that we have. And that's very important for the enjoyment and the togetherness of the body. Now, the third thing that division does to a church is that it grieves the Holy Spirit. Division in a church is contrary to the operation of the Holy Spirit. And whenever we resist the operation, what God's doing in us through the Holy Spirit, then we grieve him. Now, all of us know that when you become a Christian, you don't lose the ability to sin. You you have that sinful nature, and that'll be with you as long as you live. Until you drop this robe of flesh and you go to heaven, you have a sinful nature. But we also know this, that when you get saved, God gives you a new nature, and that nature is created in holiness and righteousness. And so now you have the ability to follow Christ. You didn't have that ability before. Before you got saved, there was no way that you could follow God. But God redeems you. He gives you this new nature. And now you can follow him. And so once you become a Christian, then you have a choice to make. You can decide that you can follow that old lifestyle that you used to live in. Or you can decide that you're going to follow the righteousness of Christ. And whenever you decide that you're going to follow the old lifestyle rather than following after the new nature, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is the very problem that they had in the church at Corinth. They had trouble with the old life. And as they lived after that old life, they resisted the working of the Holy Spirit in them because of this division that was going on. And so they grieved the Holy Spirit. If you're a person who has a contentious and a divisive attitude, you grieve the Spirit. That's confusion. It produces conflict. And conflict is not conducive to the reputation and the fellowship of the church. Now, this is not an insignificant matter. Division hurts the church. And if you're involved in those kinds of things, you need to watch out. You need to be very careful because retribution will come for those who try to divide God's church. Now, let's move on here for just a moment, and and let's see what in particular it was that was causing the division in the Corinthian church. What What are the causes here of division? Well, we look at verse number 12. It says, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So the problem of division in this church was all these various factions... And these people split up into little groups, and all of them want to have control of this church. So you have different groups here, different factions. Well, the one group, the first group says, that's not the way that we've always done it. It's not the way that we've always done it. Now, this is the old traditional group. This is the group that says that I am of Paul. Now, these are folks that they could remember all the way back to the time when Paul started this church. They were with him there in the very beginning. And they're saying that, well, Paul didn't do things like that. So we don't need to do things like that today. Paul came to Corinth and he started this church. He spent uh, some time with two devoted disciples, Aquila and Priscilla. And for 18 months, he stayed there on his second missionary journey. He preached the word of God. He witnessed to people. He won converts. And then he started this church at Corinth. Well, some of these people that were there in the very beginning with Paul, they're still in the church. They're the traditional people. And they say, I was with Paul all the way back in the beginning 
and we're not doing things the way that Paul would have done it. And that's the way many people react. When, when a new pastor, for instance, comes to a church, they might say something like, well, we've never had a pioneer club before. Paul didn't have a pioneer club, so we don't need to have a pioneer club now. And people look at the screen that we have up here. Well, we've never done that before. We never projected words up on a screen, and we, we've never put sermon notes up on a screen. Paul didn't do things like that. So we don't need to do things like that today. Well, some people are just simply resistant to change. It was that way when churches first started using organs over here. Uh, people were resistant to that. Then the piano came along, and they were resistant to that as well. And some churches, they would just literally fall down dead if you put a clavinova in the church. Now, I remember when we got this, there were people who looked at that, and they thought, well, that's a bad thing to have in the church. You know why? Because there's a button on there that says drums. And so you can't have that in the church. Paul didn't have one of those. So why do we need one of those things in the church? Folks, I want to tell you something. It is great when a church decides that it will not change on core doctrinal issues. And we will not change as long as I'm the pastor of the church. We're not going to change on those things. But when it comes to preferential issues and non-essential things, there ought not to be arguments in the church. Now, I know some people didn't like it because I decided that I was going to sit down on the floor during the morning service rather than sit on the platform. And they don't like that. They didn't like that. Well, you know the reason I did that? I got tired of this uh, elitism that goes on in many Baptist churches by the platform poachers. And so I just decided that I want to sit down there on the floor with everybody else. But people get divided over these kinds of things. They don't like the way we arrange the chairs here. They don't like the color of the carpet that we chose or the, or the chairs. They don't like the curtains that we have. And people divide over stupid, silly issues in churches. And God says we don't need to divide over those things. I mean, stick with the things that are fundamentals and worry about those and all this other stuff. You don't have to be divided over it. So these are people that say, that's not the way that we've always done it. Well, there's another group here. And this second group is the one that says, I just love the preacher. Some people say, I am of Apollos. I just love the preacher, the preacher lovers. Now, they don't necessarily love the Bible, and they don't necessarily love the teaching of the Bible and, and the truth being taught. What they really love is just that preacher. They love his personality. Well, who was Apollos? Well, Apollos was really a, what you might call a golden-throated orator. He was a young, charismatic man, and the people really loved him because when he came to the church, they said, you know, he can preach so much better than Paul. We really like Apollos. And those were the preacher lovers. You know, when Paul talked about his preaching, that he talked about how he preached in weakness? We don't have a physical description of Paul anywhere in the Bible. Uh, in the third century, Pliny, Pliny the Elder gave a description of Paul. He said that he was a short man, about 4 feet 11 inches tall. That would be slightly shorter than Corey, just a little bit shorter than he is. About four, 4 feet 11 inches tall. He was bald. He was bow-legged. He had a unibrow. Couldn't speak very well. And so when Apollos came on the scene, the people just oogled over Apollos. And they said, Apollos, Apollos, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And they just loved Apollos. So they went out and they bought all of his tapes. They bought all of his books. They got his study guides. They just loved Apollos. He is so great. Don't you just love that preacher? I pity the person who has to follow him. 
Well, Paul wasn't as flashy as Apollos. Now, in all fairness to Apollos, I mean, this wasn't his fault. He was a good man. He was a great man. But people didn't care so much about whether he was preaching the truth and whether he's a godly man. They just liked the preacher. And folks, there are churches that have preacher groupies. They follow the preacher around. I mean, that preacher, he can be as sorry as a hound dog, but he's got a good personality. They like him. He never does anything wrong. And you know something? That works really well. It works really well as long as the preacher stays friends with everybody. But what happens when the preacher falls out of his friendship with people? Well, then the whole church suffers. And you know why? Because it wasn't the word of God that ever held the church together in the first place. It wasn't truth that held the people together. It was the preacher. And so you have the people who just love that preacher. Well, I want people in the church to love me too. And I want you to love me not because I'm so handsome, because I am. And I want you to love me because of that. I want you to love me because I preach the truth, Joanne. I want you to love me because I preach the truth. I mean, stick with me because I preach the truth. And if, if, if something happens to me, you stay together because you're one in the truth. You're one in the doctrines of God's word. And that's what holds you together, not your love for the preacher. Love me. I appreciate it very much. But love the truth more than you love me. I had someone ask me not long ago if I was thinking about leaving. And I said, well, no, I can't leave because leaving my church would be like having another preacher come here. That's like having somebody mess with my wife. I don't want somebody messing with my wife and I don't want another preacher messing with my church. So I'm going to be here for a while because I'm jealous about my church. So you have this group, the preacher lovers. But there's another group here. And this is the group that says, I never met a rule I didn't like. Some people said, I am of Cephas. These are the people with a legalistic attitude. Let me explain that to you. Cephas is another name for Peter, we all know. Another name for Peter. As far as we know, there is no evidence that Peter ever visited the Corinthian church. But what probably happened here was there was a group of legalistic Jews that migrated there from from, uh, Jerusalem, and they came to Corinth, and they were very legalistic people. Now, you may remember that Peter was involved in a legalistic controversy over the issue of circumcision. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15 and also in Galatians chapter 2. And if there's anybody here today that you think that Peter was the first pope, there's plenty of evidence in the scripture that, that Peter was wrong on some things of matter of faith and practice. And so he appreciated Paul's input into that. And if you read about it in Galatians 2, you'll find out there that Paul had to set Peter straight on some issues. But Peter did get straightened out. But these legalistic Jews, they came to Corinth and they were telling people that in order for you to be a good Christian, you have to become a good Jew. In other words, all the men have to be circumcised. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a Jew or not. You have to be circumcised. You've got to follow the old Jewish customs. And if you do that, then you can be a good Christian. Well, folks, these are people who just love to live under rules and regulations. And the more rules you make, the better. They want everybody to look alike, wear the same clothes, have the same hairdos, wear the same jackboots. And if you don't look like me and you don't act like me and you don't do as I do, then you're just not as good a Christian as I am. Monty Hall, remember him? He used to say, let's make a deal. Have you ever watched that? Well, these Christians say, let's make a rule because they just love all these rules that they live under. Let me tell you something about rules. Rules that are not Bible rules, 
are just ways that preachers and churches use to control people. Now, many fundamental Baptist churches are not very much different than cults in this area. They use these issues to control people and to make them knuckle under. You know, the problem with that is when you make people spiritual by keeping rules, then you don't have spiritual people. You find out usually there's no consistency in that. And the people who make the rules, they usually find a way that they can bend or break the rules for themselves. Now, let me camp here on this one for just a little bit longer. These are people, the rule makers, are people that set up things in the church and there's really no real rhyme or reason for why they do it. These are people that are like computers. What you put in is what you get out. They don't have to think about anything. You just keep feeding them information and they process it and they spit the same thing back out to you again. Oh, Pastor so-and-so, he said that this is the way that you're supposed to do this. And Pastor so-and-so is right about everything. And so we'll just take what he says. And so they just click on and on and on like computers. You plug those people in. They accept whatever they're told. And you know what happens to them? They become the little judges of what everybody else does. These are people that just love rules. You know, Jesus said... Before you try to get that small sliver out of someone else's eye, you make sure that you get that big log beam out of your own first. So here's the crowd. You have the, the, the Paul crowd, and you have the Apollos crowd. You have the Peter crowd. But yet there's one more crowd in this church. And this is the crowd that says, I am holier than you. I am holier than you. This is the crowd that says, I am of Christ. And they say, I have no creed but Christ. And that sounds pretty good on the surface, doesn't it? But we notice here that Paul lumps these people along with the others. So who are these people that say, I'm holier than you? Well, they're the ones that are aloof. They're above all the fray that goes on the church. And you dare not approach these people unless you have repented of all of your sins and you take off your shoes because anywhere near them is holy ground. Watch out for those kind of people. Now, what is the real problem in this church? Well, the real problem is not Paul. And the real problem is not Apollos. It's not Peter. And certainly the real problem is not Christ. The real problem is one little word, one little letter even, and it's I. I am of so-and-so, and I am of him, and I am of that person And what the real attitude here is me, me, and all for me. The real cause of division is self-centeredness. When you have problems in the church, the real problem of division is selfishness. I am right. I have my opinion, and my opinion is right. And never mind if I can't even support it with one-third of a Bible verse. It's my opinion, and I'm always right. So these are the people. They just love attention. They live for attention. They shout out their opinions, and they want you to listen to their opinions. And it's just like Mama used to say. They like, they like to talk to hear their head rattle. They don't have anything to say. They just like to talk. They love the sound of their voice. Folks, here's the thing. It is wrong to divide over man-made traditions. It's wrong to divide over the love for men. It's wrong to divide over preferential issues. And it's wrong to divide because you think that you're above the common serf spiritually. 
It's wrong to divide up into factions. Now, let's wrap it up very quickly here today. What about the cure for division? What do you do when you have division? Well, the cure for the Corinthian church is the same one for a church in the 21st century. And there are two words that are keys to the cure. One of these words come, one of the words comes from God, and the other word comes from us. The first word is unity. God creates unity. Unity never comes from us. And you know the reason I know that? Because you go out there in the world among people who don't know anything about Jesus Christ, and what do you find there? You always find division. There will always be division with people out there. That's just the way that people live. Unity is contrary to our human nature. And so our motto will never ultimately be, notwithstanding the three musketeers, all for one and one for all. That will never be the motto of an unsaved person. Only God creates unity. Now we try, there's a lot of different things that we try to put in place to produce this unity, but only God can produce unity. Now here's a few things. Unity is not uniformity. And some churches try that. They try uniformity. And and that's the people that I talked about a moment ago. People who think you've got to have the same haircut. Everybody's got to wear the same clothes. Make everybody look alike. Make them wear their Christian uniform. But that never produces unity. Uniformity does not produce unity. Unity is not unification. Business organizations like unification, they try to come together on that basis. But I've said it before, I'll tell you again, you can take two tomcats, tie their tails together, throw them over a clothesline, and you have unification. But you don't have unity. You can't produce that, only God can. Unity is not unison. Unison is when everybody sings the same part. There's no difference in our personalities. There's no difference in our character. You don't have to have unison to have unity. You ever noticed a stonemason as he builds a beautiful stone wall? He picks out stones of different shapes and sizes, and he puts them all together in the same wall, and it turns out perfectly the way that he wants. Well, that's the way it is in the church. We're all different. We have different characteristics. We have different personalities. Everybody doesn't look alike. God's idea is not unison in that way. It's not that. It's harmony, not unison. So we can try to create this, but it's never going to happen until God creates it for us. So what must happen here is for God to create unity, and then we do the next thing. We practice agreement. Now, verse number 10 says that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And the word there, perfectly joined, do you know that that's actually a medical term? And what it means is setting bones back together. You take and you set the bones perfectly back together. And that's exactly what God does when he produces unity in the church. You see, the book of Corinthians especially is rich in all these analogies about the human body. So God gives unity and we practice agreement. Now let me finish here with three areas in which we need to practice agreement. Number one, we must agree in thought. We must think the same things. You can't have two totally opposite opinions and both those opinions be right. So what we have to do is to take our opinions and mold them by the word of God and strive to think like Jesus thought. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If the piano over here is out of tune, you can take a tuning fork 
and you can perfectly tune that piano to a tuning fork. Diana back here can take her violin, and she can tune her violin to the same tuning fork. And you know what happens? When both of them are tuned to the tuning fork, they are in tune with each other. Jose can tune into Christ, and I can tune into Christ, and David can tune into Christ. And you know what happens? In the end, we're all in tune with each other. So that's what we have to do. We have to concentrate on the same thoughts by thinking what Christ thought. Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? The obvious answer is no, Christ is not divided. Number two, we must agree in treatment. We're to treat one another alike. So we don't set ourselves up and we don't set anybody else in the church up as being the elite person of the church. James writes about it and he says it this way. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing or the nice clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit thou under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? I remember when Joe's first came to church. I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. But I remember when Joe's first came to church, he, he, he wondered, he talked to me about this. He said, I, I wonder if the church will accept an Indian. Do you have any wonder now? No. I found out I love Indians. I really do. And the, the kids in, the, in, in, in junior church and in, in Pioneer Club, they sing that song, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. That's exactly the way that we ought to feel. Nobody is elite in this group. I'm not too good to sit out there with you, and you're not too, or not, you're, you are good enough, I should say, you're good enough to come up here and sit on this platform. Don't you dare try it, but you're good enough to do that. <laughs> See, here's the thing, folks. We are all sinners saved by grace. All of us are sinners saved by grace. I had somebody in my office the other day, and I asked him a question. Do you believe that when you die that you're going to go to heaven? And this person looked at me and said, well, I am a sinner. And I said, well, join the club. I'm a sinner too. That's all we all are, sinners saved by God's grace. Now, one of the things, though, that this church in Corinth was divided over was the issue of baptism. Baptism is an essential doctrine for church constitution. You have to have baptism for that, but baptism is not essential for salvation. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If baptism was essential for salvation, then Paul would have dunked everybody in Corinth three times, but it's not essential. And Paul's point in saying this was to show that being baptized by him was no better than being baptized by anybody else who was authorized by the church. Paul wasn't trying to win disciples for Paul. He was trying to win disciples for Jesus. Jesus, if you remember from the book of John, it tells us that Jesus didn't baptize. Why didn't Jesus baptize? Well, he knew that sometime later somebody would come along and they would claim that they were superior Christians because they had authentic baptism from Jesus Christ. And so they were better than other Christians. Well, the point of the whole thing is, again, we are all saved the same way. We all come into the church the same way. We're sinners saved by the grace of God, 
And when we come into this church, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we are one together because we all follow the same Lord. So we have to agree in thought and treatment. Then number three, we must agree in truth. The essential unifying factor for the church above all other things is the issue of truth. We have to agree in truth. Now, there are all these other peripheral issues that are out there, and I'm not going to take, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I, I'm not going to deal with all those peripheral issues. We may be in disagreement over a lot of different things, but when we find out that we're in disagreement over these little issues, non-essential things, the thing to do is to step back and just ask ourselves the question, is it worth the fight? Is this thing essential to what we do in Berean Baptist Church? Will fighting over this hurt the church? And so we think about it that way. Now, if it is something that's essential, obviously you stand up for what you believe. We're not a church here that goes along just to get along. No, we stand up for the truth. But you have to determine, is this an essential matter or is it something that you really ought to be fighting over? Remember that saying, a bulldog can whip a skunk, but sometimes it's just not worth the fight. And you have to determine whether that's true in this case. Now, there are, of course, essential things that we absolutely uphold, and we will uphold no matter what. We are going to uphold the essential that before a person can be saved, he must put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the pardon of his sins, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood to take away our sins. We will not compromise on that. We will not compromise on the issue of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to compromise on that. There are several other things. I'm not going to go into all of those today. But there are some things that we absolutely, if you are in disagreement about it, we will not tolerate it. Because it's core and fundamental to the operation of our church. But if it's not, that's a different story. Well, how do you deal with differences in a church? Well, let me give you just one final statement here. And this is the way that we ought to operate our church. In the non-essentials, liberty and in everything else, love. And if we'll just practice that, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in everything else, love. There was once a little five-year-old boy who got lost. He was wandering around the streets of the city, didn't know where he was. Finally, he came upon a police station. He went into the police station and began to talk to the officer behind the desk, and the officer was questioning him, and the little boy couldn't remember where he lived. He didn't know his address. He couldn't even say his last name. He was confused. He didn't know that. And so the officer kept questioning him, trying to find out how he could get him back home. And so finally the officer asked, is there anything at all about your neighborhood, anything at all about your neighborhood that would help us to identify where you live? And the little five-year-old boy thought about it, and he said, yeah, you know something? I do remember something. There's a church near my house, and it has a big cross on the steeple. And he said, if you can just get me to the cross, then I can find my way home. Now, folks, isn't that what we need to do in Brian Baptist Church? Here is our interest. Just get people to the cross. We concentrate on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we make that our focus at all times, I promise you, there won't be divisions in the church. When we look at the cross, instead of to us, there will be no divisions in our church. So our motto really can be in this church, all for one and one for all. 
We just have to keep looking at the cross. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we learned today from your word. We ask you, Lord, that this would be a church with no divisions. Lord, may we put aside all the petty issues that we have. And may we just simply concentrate on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here is to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus as Savior. And if we continue to focus on that, make that our goal, get our minds off what we want and all the other things that go on, then we know that we'll have unity in our church. Bless our people today. Speak to the hearts of those who don't know you as Savior. May they come to know you today. And then for our members of this church and friends here, we just ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be a unified people. May we serve you in the way that you'd have us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.